HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hello to everyone. I'm Louisa Caston, your host for Let's Talk About Food, a podcast devoted to first-person storytelling where food plays a pivotal, if not a starring role. Everyone has a food story. Food is at the heart of human connection, at the center of love, of ritual, of need and want, and most of all, food creates community. And community is what we crave. Our guest today, Joanna James, is a filmmaker, the founder of a nonprofit, and the mom of three girls. But she is also the daughter of a mother who started a successful restaurant company with a lot of headwinds. Joanna grew up doing her homework in restaurant kitchens, and her film, A Fine Line, followed her mother's struggles and those of other well-known female chef owners. It tells the story of the barriers, both financial and personal, that block the rise of women in the food business. When I first saw the film, I understood it as a love letter to her mom, Val. The film created shockwaves. The reception was huge. Even Oprah loved it. As a result, Joanna also created Map Impact, a nonprofit focused on mentorship and policy advocacy for women in the food and beverage industry. Let's have a listen to this remarkable young woman. It is my great pleasure today to speak with Joanna James, whom I first met when she was getting ready to finish her incredible movie, A Fine Line. Joanna is a filmmaker, a nonprofit exec and founder, and she is also the daughter of a hardworking restaurant mom. So, Joanna, I wanted to ask you to tell me first about A Fine Line, and then tell me a little bit about growing up behind the swinging doors of your mother's restaurant. First, tell us all about A Fine Line. Well, I just want to say thank you, Louisa, because you were a big part of helping finish A Fine Line. So many amazing women came by our side uh, during post-production to help get the word out and uh, 
really share the film. It's so nice to be back with you. But it's very personal for me. I was born and raised in the restaurant industry. Saw my mother uh, as I was growing up, all that she was enduring uh, to do what she loves and what she was so good at, and yet was facing obstacles for some reason along the way. And come to find out years later when I was older and decided to make a movie on her, and I went into my journalistic background and did some research, I realized it was really a systemic issue. It was because she was a woman, and we know this because the numbers prove all this. Less than 7% of head chefs and restaurant owners and operators are women. The more I started to look into this and interview other amazing women chefs and restaurateurs like Dominique Crenn, the first and only three Michelin-starred female chef in the U.S., Lydia Bastianich, Barbara Lynch out of Boston, Kat Cora. It was a shared experience, and so that really paved the way for uh, the work we're doing today with MAP. Tell us a little bit about MAP, and then I want to go backwards a little. MAP literally started as a social impact arm off the film A Fine Line. We were doing the film festival circuit. We started our own screening tribute tour to go and recognize and honor women in their communities who weren't getting the press and awards that they deserved. And so that really was the building blocks to what MAP is today, which is a 501c3 nonprofit that stands for mentorship, advocacy, purpose, and the power of woman. And it's all about empowering more women into leadership. And we focus on doing that through mentorship and really putting a spotlight on diverse voices in our industry that weren't getting uh, the press and recognition that, that they deserved. And it was really amazing when we were going on this tour across the country, not just in Manhattan and Chicago and LA, but literally Rochester, New York. Bentonville, Arkansas, Spokane, Washington, anywhere you can name. We were there, Baltimore, Detroit. And so many women would pretty much say the same thing to me, which was, thank you for sharing our story. Val's story is my story. And so that really opened my eyes up to realize that these women who had worked so hard, you know exactly how it is, where it's just a grind every day you're there. And and for all these years, to not really ever get that validation. And the film, I think, offered a little bit of that because they finally saw their story and struggle on the big screen. And, um, and so that was really the most rewarding part about all this for me. Is MAP focused directly on women in the food business or is it all sorts of women in all sorts of businesses? Well, we wanted to start in the food and beverage industry, hospitality industry, because we really think that is a model that could apply across all industries. There is such power in bringing people together over food, and especially it's disarming. People are willing to talk about things that they maybe weren't willing to before or listen even better. And so we found that's definitely the case when we're talking about gender equality and women's rights. We are very focused right now in the hospitality and culinary industry, and the numbers prove the work we're doing is working. There's actually been an increase in head women chefs since the premiere of A Fine Line five years ago and MAP being created. 
there is now an increase from what was 19% of head women chefs to today more than 25%. And we've been very focused on what we can do from mentorship. And when I say mentorship, not just one-off pairings, but virtual mentorship circles, bringing people together at events and making connections and introductions webinars and educational tools and resources. See, that is so important. We went on a cross-country tour really advocating for some of the most effective policies to help women advance in their careers, like flexible scheduling, paid family leave, affordable, accessible childcare, things that today are on the front burner of the national conversation, but pre-pandemic, it really wasn't sexy to talk about these things. And I could see eyes glassing over when we would talk about this. Today, that's not the case, but there's still so much work to be done. Hmm. We're going to come back to MAP, but I want you to roll back a little bit and tell people who haven't seen the film a little bit the story of Val, how she began, where she is now. When I saw the film, I understood it as an incredible love letter of a daughter to a mother. And your mother is one impressive lady. Just her voice alone will put the fear of God in me. So tell us all a little bit about Val's story and how you decided to make this wonderful movie about her. Oh, thank you so much, Louisa. I always knew my mom was special because I just saw how she operated, which was just with her whole heart and soul. She's the type of person she'll give you the shirt off her back and just so generous. And so, again, working in the restaurant all my life until I finally went away for college, I saw the effect she had in her community. She was always there for everyone. And yet I also saw how difficult it was for her to keep doing the thing that she loved most. And what I mean by that is she started as a storefront pizzeria. And when it came to opening a larger restaurant, a full-service restaurant, it was not easy at all in the least bit. And not from the customers or the staff trying to get a lease, trying to get a bank to sign her on, all the other issues. Then when she finally got the restaurant and she wanted to expand, that was, again, more obstacles. There was just always these roadblocks. And so the story is really showing this larger-than-life personality who raised my brother and I, who was always there for her parents, and just what she was up against while taking care of her family, doing something that gave her great joy and that she was so good at, really. And then really tying in the stories, it's a very much a universal shared experience for women who are working not just in the culinary industry. We've heard from so many women who the film really resonated with them. And so it was weaving in all these other experiences from chefs like Dominique Crenn and Lydia Bastianich, Kat Cora, Elizabeth Faulkner, and just all the sacrifices and um, really hard choices that women are forced to make when they are deciding they want more for themselves. And that can be a career, and that can also just be saying the status quo is not good enough. And so, yes, this was definitely, it started as a a personal testament to my mother, and then it became something even larger than that. But definitely paying tribute to my mom and the woman 
um, whose shoulders were on, the trailblazers who went out and, and did this, and it was no easy feat. One of the fun things about seeing the movie is that you really have a sense of how all these iconic chefs, you really have a sense of them as women, not just as female chefs, but as women juggling their lives, wondering how to harness their talents. When you think back to the vignettes that you did, the different different chefs that you followed, who stands out as uh, sort of broke your heart when you interviewed her? Oh, um, I don't know if I'd say someone broke my heart because their stories are so uplifting and inspiring. And I think if anyone's story really is a gut punch, just of the adversity she faced and the triumph when she overcame it, I would say that is my mother, absolutely, who has that. Because she provides that transparency, so we go behind the curtain, all access. Right, and um, you so talk I think about... the viewers get that. Yeah, and you also talk about the fact that uh, the family were Greek immigrants and her father and mother started the business, and it was not their expectation that their daughter, instead of their son, would take it over. Exactly. So we show how literally from being a girl in her own family, from that young age, she always had to prove herself, which is exactly something you hit on, that women are constantly asked to prove themselves over and over and over again at every turn. So by the time you're really trying, you're almost there, you see the light at the end of the tunnel when we're talking about leadership or getting into the C-suite, you're exhausted because you've been working harder and having to show that at every turn. And we see with my mother's story in particular that she literally faced that even in her own home. But, you know, the other great stories as well, like you asked, Sylvia Weinstock. I also see the dynamics here because Sylvia Weinstock, the late, amazing, just such a legend. It was, I really feel that it was such a privilege and honor to have interviewed Miss Weinstock. She made the decision to get into becoming a pastry chef and baking these phenomenal wedding cakes when she was in her 50s because she wanted to raise her kids first and she didn't think it was possible to have a career and have a family. Then you have the same thing with Barbara Lynch where she didn't have kids until she was in her 40s. She did the opposite, where she wanted to launch her career and really build her empire first. It was just really seeing that it was rare for women to try to do both, other than Lydia Bastianich, who really gave a great, I, I just, I always love listening to her because she just really speaks from the heart. But she said she was tormented. She felt guilty, not giving enough time between work or family. And finally, her physician, because she didn't know how to talk to a psychologist back then, but her physician said, make it happen. Kids want happy parents. Just make it happen. <laughs> so You referenced the fact that you had a journalistic background. So you went to college. Did you study filmmaking or was this your, was a fine line your first foray? Yes, A Fine Line was my first film. I was totally learning on the job. I realized, like my mother, this is for me. This is definitely what I love to do. I was hooked. But my background, I actually studied journalism at Northeastern University and, and then the transferred to Emerson for creative writing, for literature and print journalism as well. 
Wow. So it's how many years since A Fine Line first came out? It's five years. Five years. And you now have complexities of your own. You have three small daughters. They are, how old is everybody now? <laughs> so Mariella is my oldest. She's eight. Zoe is five. And Ava is three. Pretty busy. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely busy. So how do you take what you've learned as the daughter of a mother like Val? I've never been to Val's restaurant, but we have, we're going to do a field trip. We're due. Um, how do and you when take... you go, I'm coming, Louisa, so you let, you let me know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm thinking we should do that. But how do you take those lessons of a little girl sitting on the counter in the diner doing her homework to doing what you do and raising three daughters of your own? Oh, my God. I, I continue to learn every day from my mom. It's unbelievable. One thing I really learned that I've honed in during this whole filmmaking process and interviewing my mom and taking a step back, not looking at her as my mother, but just really everything she said during the course of filming her was that she made the decision to focus on her and that which she wanted to do, which was create a career for herself in this restaurant. And it's not so much a career as much as something she really loved with all her heart, which like most of these chefs, it really comes down to bringing people joy through food. But what I realized is, she said during her interview, I put visors on. I just, I had laser focus and just kept looking straight ahead. And that's what I think so many of us as mothers have to hear that, yes, we're there for our families. We're there for our kids, but we also have to keep focus on what we want to do and achieve. And so I've been able to do that because I realize that's okay. It's okay to maybe not go to every parent-child meeting or to have my husband jump in and schedule the doctor appointments or do the morning drop-off at school and I do the nighttime tuck-in at bedtime. So I've really figured out with my husband how to make this work. And I really do credit my husband so much because he is just my entire support system. I think until men really make that cultural shift to allow for women to really take a foot out of the home front to really go for it, it's really difficult. And so I've been really fortunate on that end that I have the actual support of my life partner. You are very fortunate. And I'm trying to think about the women in your piece and other women that I know. And many of them, including you, didn't grow up with a, a mother or they weren't themselves mothers who had a support system, many divorced, many single. For you, your father wasn't part of the equation when you were growing up. Well, my father was always there in the sense of moral support, teaching us through some of his mistakes in life or things he wasn't able to do. But everything really relied on my mom. Yeah. Everything was on her shoulders. Yeah. So yeah, I always think of that. I always think, my God, here when I started making the film and I was in my early 30s, by that point, my mom had two kids, divorced, bills, in debt, staff that was depending on her. And I just, again, it was one of those eye-opening moments where I was just blown away at 
the tenacity and the sheer will and determination she had because I don't know if I could have ever done that. And even today, again, as I continue on my journey, and I do have that tremendous support from a life partner, I think of all the single moms out there, and I don't know how they do it other than they are just superheroes. And especially in this industry that employs the most single mothers, we got to do something to have their back because they have everyone else's back. And it's not something that's a one-off problem. And that's why we advocate for the change to come from government, from the community, from all of us coming together to say, what can we do here? How can we fix a broken system? When we come back, we'll hear Joanna James' thoughts on how to change our broken food system. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. And we are back with Joanna James. Is it true that the hospitality industry employs the largest percentage of single mothers? Yes. That's sobering when you think about it. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, because on one hand, you have of a flexible schedule in the sense that if kids are at school and you're a server at a restaurant during the day or breakfast or what have you, um, or if you can have some type of child care at night with your family or whatever your solution is, you can work at night. On one hand, there's that flexibility there. But on the other hand, it's also very difficult because it's not traditional hours. It can be very late. It is grueling work. So yeah, there, there's a lot there to unpack. It's really tough. It's interesting that you never considered going into the restaurant business yourself. Did you ever flirt with it? Number one, I really didn't stop working in, in the restaurant industry until I started making this film. Because when I was in college, I was bartending. I literally said, I've got to try to help somehow. And I didn't want 
my mom to feel like she had to take care of me when I was away. So I bartended throughout college and then moonlighting while I was writing for newspapers. So I was always in the restaurant world, always front of the house. But when it came to me, myself, either getting involved in the family business or starting my own, I think it just was very scary for me. We joke a lot of us now, so many of the chefs and restaurateurs I speak with, because we say it's such a crazy decision to go You say, I'm going to open a restaurant, almost like say, I'm going to make a film. I don't know which one's crazier to do. Or another way to look at it is which one's more courageous, because there's such courage in doing that. And to be completely honest, I would love to. And I think one day I will. I just I I'm so in love with filmmaking, with storytelling that right now I'm pretty focused on that. It's sort of selfish, like when you move somewhere and you say, oh, I wish there was this amazing cafe bistro, or why isn't there an oyster bar, or, oh, I'm just craving this. And when you're born in the restaurant industry, maybe we could just make one happen. I share the temptation, having had three restaurants, that every once in a while I walk by, like there's a little restaurant in my village that only serves through lunch, probably has probably not 10 tables, and it's only open through lunch. And every once in a while, I think, yeah, I could do that. Maybe I will. It's so much fun sitting there, making the food, talking to the people who come in, being part of the community. And then I think, jump back. You will never do that again. (laughs) (laughs) But it's an ongoing conversation. Because behind, behind the work, there's tremendous joy. There is tremendous social joy and creative joy and all of that. Amazing. So now you've made this film and you have this nonprofit and it's five years later. Why not another film? Actually, I am working on another film. It's a docu-series, actually, and I'm developing it as we speak. I can't get into too many details, but it's the first thing that has gotten me so excited to get back to the grindstone in terms of just, it's similar to the restaurant industry. Before you actually see it come to fruition, you just get so many more no's than yeses. (laughs) You just get yourself ready to endure rejection and being so resourceful. And in order to go through that process, you really have to love something and be passionate about it. And especially with running the nonprofit and having three kids, I was waiting for that thing that would just I would know. Although I've always had so many of these different ideas and stories, this is the first thing that has just made me really commit to it. Again, it is connected to our food system, to chefs, but it's something that I think is very needed for today. Tease us a little with the content. Maybe somebody listening will be able to help. (laughs) Well, it's really about finding common ground through the power of a shared meal and even on some of the most polarizing issues that it feels like a lot of people can't sit and have a civil conversation and yet we're taking it from the approach of having these stories from chefs, farmers, restaurateurs, food activists open up a national conversation and that's the vehicle to have some of the most fascinating guests there at the dinner table to talk about it. And do you have an opportunity for people who come at the topic from different points of view to share a meal together? 
Exactly. Yes. That's interesting. Are you lining up the talking heads now or the talking chefs? Oh, yes. I have a lot of confirmations and commitments. I'm partnering with a production company to get it greenlit. So we're pretty far along, but we're also not at the place that I can share too much more. But but yeah, it's exciting to just really see over the past five years, well, five years since the film was made, but really another five years prior being in the trenches making it. So just being immersed in this field and with these amazing people to finally put all of that together in this new series and the different topics. Because chefs are just so passionate about certain causes dear to their hearts. And it's also such a public facing job. You're talking to your customers, your staff, so many people, your purveyors. I really am happy about the direction of this new series. And Joanna, what do you see now that you can almost look back on sort of 10 years since the inception of your film? In addition to there being more women chefs, what do you think about how attitudes have shifted towards women in the business? Oh, tremendously. It's a completely different landscape than when I, I first embarked on making this film. Literally, there, even during filming, one of the chefs who changed her mind in terms of wanting to be more vocal and participate in a lot of these conversations and efforts just in the course of filming her. She realized where we were coming from and what this was about. So imagine now, 10 years later, where the film has become a rallying call for greater representation and inclusivity, to see these major organizations and media and all these new food festivals pop up where they have these missions in mind. It's not just, okay, let's go have a great time, but let's really... Uh, pay homage to the chefs who are behind the curtain. And, oh, and let's actually pay attention to where many of these chefs come from and this food comes from. And it is from so many different cultures and backgrounds and race. And, and finally, we're also taking it a step further where it's not just spotlighting diverse voices in our industry, but saying, okay, how can we make things better? How can we elevate our industry and bring greater equity into the hospitality and culinary industry. And that is also very urging in the sense that we're finally paying attention to what some of the female leaders have been doing for a long time in this industry, because they've had to. They've had to figure out, okay, how do I have some semblance of sanity in my life, raising kids, and then give that to my employees? Oh, maybe I am going to close down for two days a week. Or maybe I'm going to lessen the hours and close a little earlier. Or all these different policies and, and workplace practices. Forget, if we, we didn't even get into the Me Too movement, but we're talking about a place that now does not put up with harassment and just this toxicity. If the owner still operates that way, good luck finding employees today. It's hard enough as it is. So... Yeah, I, I just think it's great the level of change that is continuing to happen and, and employers that are also really wanting to figure it out to do right by their employees, but also themselves. Well, and don't you think that looking back after the pandemic and the huge blow that it was to the restaurant industry, that somewhere the equation, the balance between the customer 
and the restaurateurs has shifted? Yes, I do. I think customers realize a lot more the role and value of independent restaurants in their communities. When we didn't have that for so long, literally, especially in cities, restaurants, bakeries, cafes, bars, there's a psychological factor there. They offer a respite to people. It's their gathering places. They're where we go to celebrate and bring our loved ones to a holiday, a Mother's Day, a birthday, a graduation, let alone the fact that from a financial perspective, the economic benefits these small businesses bring to every neighborhood. The public definitely I feel is more educated on this and now also realize that whatever you feel and go through in terms of eggs are more expensive, chickens more expensive, inflation, supply chain issues, logistical headaches. Well, imagine what the small business owner is going (laughs) through and a chef and a restaurateur. They're also finally willing to, I think, put up with a little more that they probably weren't prior. There's a little bit more leeway today. We'll see how it all shifts. We'll tune back in in a year or so. Joanna, where can people see a fine line now? Where can I see it now if I wanted to see it? So A Fine Line premiered on PBS. It had its national broadcast premiere for uh, the past two years. And now we're in this in-between phase in which until we find a home that it will live on, it's really through hosted screenings. So if you want to bring A Fine Line to your community, um, you can host a screening. We've done so many, uh, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of educational screenings. So at vocational schools, culinary schools, high schools, universities. For the longest time, A Fine Line was even on every major airline. So it felt great to see um, that the film was just so widely received. While we're figuring out the next place for A Fine Line, you can definitely you know, contact us at afinelinemovie.com and request a screening and we can do that. That's great. I'm a little disappointed that I can't just direct people to Netflix or something like that, but hosting a screening sounds like a great idea, a great idea. Thank you. And you never know if, if hopefully one day soon, maybe it will be on one of those streamers. But but yeah, for right now that it, it came off PBS, uh, it's not there quite yet. If you will let me tell you about MAP, our conference coming up, because that is exciting and we have done screenings of a fine line there as well. Tell us about the conference. So we had our inaugural conference last year. It was in Fort Lauderdale. And we had women chefs, restaurateurs, farmers, and activists from nearly every state there. So their voices were represented, which was really incredible. Now this year, popular demand, we're doing it again, May 1st in Miami. It's so energizing to bring so many people together and really participate in these conversations, in panels, in workshops. It's all about how to build sustainable growth and ensuring that wellness and health is at the core of our business decisions. And we have speakers like Andrew Zimmern, Tanya Holland, Tiffany Derry, Lorena Garcia, Ellen Yin. So we're really thrilled to be doing it again. And then later in the evening, we also have a food, wine, and spirits festival 
where, again, we have Miami's top restaurants there uh, providing their signature dishes. We have a fun cocktail activation. We also partner with Chef's Roll for bringing emerging chefs to the conference to, to feature their plates. So it's really fun. And you can go to map, mappimpact.org to see more about the conference and coming and having a good time with us there. Is it primarily for people either in the food and hospitality business or aspiring to be in the food and hospitality business? Who should go? Definitely. If you're in the industry, whether front of the house or back of the house, this is the place for you to be. The testimonials and the response we heard after the first one was so motivating to keep doing it because it really made a difference for people. You're learning, you're feeling inspired, you're literally making friendships, business deals on the spot. We have so many of these great stories from last year. But also we've had a lot of foodies and people within the public who just heard about it, especially the evening portion. It's been a great mix of people. During the day for the conference, it's definitely more industry focused, but at night it really is a celebration of amazing restaurants and chefs in the community. And so we, we have a lot of people from the public. Well, that sounds totally great. I want to thank you. I have been a fan of yours since I first heard about the idea of a fine line. You are really a treasure. And I'm going to ask all of our listeners to check out mappimpact.org and think about whether they want to go to Miami in May. I sure do. Thank you. Thank you. Louisa, thank you so much. Friendship and to think our journey and how we met and to be talking with you, that's a treasure. So thank you so much for your continuous support. You are welcome. Thank you, Joanna. And good luck with the MAP Impact Conference. Listeners, for more information about MAP and Joanna, visit themapimpact.org. That's M-A-P-P-Impact.org. Thanks for listening. Let's Talk About Food is produced by The Food Voice. I'm producing, along with audio director and composer Mike Moss of Soundscape Boston. You can find more of our stories at our website, letstalkaboutfood.com, and on Heritage Radio or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's Talk About Food is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. <laughs>